love it. I'm so grateful to be able to kind of start that way and remind us again what really matters, right? What, what is eternal? What is our purpose to, to know Jesus and to make him known, to see lives saved and transformed? And what a beautiful celebration of that. I was reminded again, even this week, of the importance of those things that really are important, that have eternal impact. Uh, I got a letter this week from a, a gal who uh, had a friend who watches our services online, and that friend shared our link with her grandmother, and her grandmother started watching here at Lex City, and then her grandmother shared this link uh, with this gal, and she just wrote a letter this week, and just share part of it with, it with you. It says simply this, your preaching has brought me more faith for me in Jesus, and I've asked Jesus to come into my life, and his hands have been on me ever since, and I thank your church for it so very much, amen. Isn't that encouraging? I tell you what. So again, if you're watching online, we're so glad to have you. Again, we got over 1,000 folks that watch every week. And so for those of you that wrote that letter, thank you. I appreciate just your searing on that. But it really is the things that are matter and the things that really are e eternal. This last week, we've spent a lot of time as a country working through the process of choosing a president, a decision that may be a four-year or eight-year decision. It's a temporary decision. Can I remind you that decisions for Christ are an eternal decision? And I just want to encourage us, let us be about people who are dealing with eternal situations and eternal decisions that we have in Christ, because that's really where the, the power lies. And, you know, to kind of help us think about that, this, we are in week two of a series where we've really been dealing with this issue of this, how do we deal with the sovereignty of God, right, and the free will of men? Challenging topic to try to understand and grasp, because at many places, and many points as we kind of work through this, it feels like a paradox. How can both of these things be true as they go? But I, I believe this. Today, if we can continue to wrestle with this challenge of understanding what the Word of God has to say to us on these issues, I think you can find some hope and some encouragement. So my goal this morning for you is simply this, is twofold. Number one, that you would find peace and comfort in the sovereignty of God that that truth would resonate with your heart, that even today that you would find peace and comfort in that. And secondly, that you would be moved or inspired to live differently because of your free will. That in that understanding of the role I play, that it would drive us to live uniquely different. And I think at the end of the day, when we have a correct grasp on who God is in his sovereignty in this world, that it would drive us to worship but we also would be motivated to commit, to take personal responsibilities for my actions and my attitudes and my behavior, because why? Because I have a free will to do those things. And so that's what we want to look at today a little bit more. So we think about this area of free will. It's God's greatest gift and man's greatest curse in many ways. See, the problem with free will is this, is that free will is incredibly predictable. We will always choose what we want. In fact, I'd propose to you today, you've never made a choice in your life that wasn't based on something you wanted. You may need to ponder that because on the surface it doesn't really seem true, but think about that. I mean, there are even choices that we aren't, think are really, even really choices that we make based on our desires. For example, uh, we pay taxes, even though we don't want to pay taxes, because we want to avoid going to jail for not paying taxes, and so we figure the, it's, we choose to do the less of two evils and pay the taxes rather than do nothing, right? There's a choice there, even though it doesn't feel like it. Every time we open the fridge, choice, taste, or will I fit into my jeans are my favorite ones, all right? Every, our desires determine our actions, and here's the problem with the desires of man is because we have a sin nature, 
Our desires will always be sinful. Look what the Bible says. Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's a nature that we're struggling with, right? We have a free will, but we also have a heart that's depraved. Jeremiah says it this way in 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I love the way Isaiah puts it so, so clearly. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, right? It's free will. The struggle, again, with this kind of free will is that our hearts are ultimately wicked. That's why for us, isn't it? This is the challenge, why we've got to submit ourselves to the Lord on a daily basis, God, we got to say, God, I need to die to my own desires, and I need you to birth into me desires that come from you. Because when we fail to do that as a people, right, as a community, as a country, the end result is every generation we become more depraved in the things that we go. If our free will is left unchecked, we're always going to gravitate towards selfishness, for pride, for ego, to... Uh, power that we may have. We will quickly devalue one another in the value of life born and unborn. The, the end result of a, of a free will is, is this. If it's not kept in check, it's an ugly ending. It ends in pain, and it ends in division, and it ends in hopelessness. Well, it's a fun way to start. But let me tell you where there's some hope in all of this. Knowing the condition of my heart, here's where the hope lies in this. The hope comes in the sovereignty of God. Let me give you the definition of the sovereignty of God, which I gave you last week. It's simply this, that the sovereignty of God means that he has control of all things, past, present, and future. That nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control. That all things are directly caused by him or consciously allowed by him for his own purpose and pleasure. And nothing will ever enter into your life if you are willing to trust in him that he cannot work out for your good. I mean, that's the tension, right? So today, let me just tell you, I, I'm not going to be able to ease the tension of understanding how this works, the sovereignty of God in the, in the free will of men. There have been far more brilliant, uh, godly people who have preached and taught and wrote books and lectures on all this, and we still kind of struggle with this. But here's what I want to remind you today and encourage you, that even in our finite minds, I think we can find some real hope today. And I'm glad we have a finite mind. There should be no, the idea that I could fully understand the mysteries and the marvels of God is a, is a, is a false concept. And Romans 11 tells us this. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his, way, and his ways. But even though we can't fully grasp it today, I'm going to encourage you. Boy, we can find some great comfort and encouragement in God's sovereignty and the reality that I have a free will even with him. That God is in control, we start with that, that God's in control of kings and countries and even presidents. We see that all the way in the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was the time when the Lord wanted to rebuild his temple. And the nation of Israel at this point had not the resources to do that. So God moves in the heart of an enemy of Israel for his great pleasure. Ezra chapter six says this, 
Then they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. And there was great joy throughout the land. Why? Here it is. Because the Lord had caused the king of Assyria to be favorable to them so that he helped them to rebuild the temple of God, the God of Israel. Isn't that remarkable? God in his sovereignty moves in the heart of an enemy of Israel. Not only that he wouldn't attack them, but he actually begins to send them resources to build the temple that God wanted to have built in the first place. It's what Proverbs 21 says. It says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. It's this picture of ancient farming and irrigation systems that they had, and you'll see a little picture of it here. See, the fields got water, and the direction of the water that flowed was directly determined by the farmer on which channels he would open and which channels he would close. What fields got water and what fields didn't get water were determined by the farmer. The farmer determines what crops would prosper, which crops would fade away, and which crops would stay dormant. His hands determine directly the fruit that would be yielded in each of the fields. That's sovereignty, right? I encourage you today that God has a plan for you, God has a plan for your children, and God has a plan for our country. But in that sovereign plan, here's an amazing thing, is that we are not passive bystanders. We're not just on for the ride to take it all in. You have a part of the story, and I want to encourage you and show you today again that your part of the story is a very active role in the story. And so here is the challenge of these two things, this paradoxical truth that's hard to grasp. How can God be in control, and I still have a role, and how do they both flow together? Question's been asked for centuries. When I was in Bible college, this is a question every Bible college would love to ask their professor to try to stump them. So I remember on the day of the question being asked, and the professor grabs his glasses and puts them down on his nose, like this makes him more intelligent, but it worked. I was like, wow, it's gonna be fascinating. And here's where it is. He says, son, there are two tracks, the free will of man and the sovereignty of God, and these tracks run parallel, and they meet somewhere in eternity. And I'm like, wow, man, that's deep. I'm, I'm, all right, sounds great. So I'm, I'm, a little later on in the evening, you're pondering over some pizza, and you're like, hmm. If the two tracks are parallel, there's no way they actually can meet somewhere in eternity. Otherwise, they were never truly parallel. <laughs> you have these questions. And then if they were two tracks, in my mind, the visual problem is it implies that the track of the free will of man and the track of the sovereignty of God are exactly the same and they're equal. And I know that's not the truth. I know that the sovereignty of God is not equal to the free will of man. One is greater than the other, and so I'm confused now on my two tracks. So an illustration I shared with you last week from A.W. Tozer has been the one that's been helpful for me, and I hope maybe it's helpful for you. And just to remind you as we think about maybe a, a way to grasp in a small degree the complexity of this amazing ministry, Tozer simply said this. It's like, again, it's a, it's a cruise line. It's leaving from New York City to go to Liverpool, and he makes the analogy that the port authorities, that the captain knows the end destination, he knows the time, he knows the waypoints, he knows which ports he's going to stop at what time in order to get to the end result that it's there. So that port and that schedule is predetermined, but on this cruise line are hundreds of people who have their free will to choose whatever they want to do during this cruise. They can go to the buffet, they can sit on the sun deck, they can read a book, they can do absolutely nothing. All right, whatever they choose, they can do, they have freedom to do that. In fact, there are even some ports that you're going to stop, and if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you get these excursions, right? You can do whatever you want. Stay on the ship, go off the ship, but you know this. There's a schedule, and when that horn goes, the boat is going. 
So you got free will until that horn sounds, but then you're back on the track and where you're going. And I think as I think about there, we have in the context of a cruise line, we have sovereignty, predetermined direction, timetable, and all that, and we have free will to choose what we do in the midst of those things. And for me, that gives me a little bit of a better picture that's there. Both are present, but here's the key. Both are not equal. We're always in subjection to the predetermined destination and the port. When the horn sounds, we're going. It's not about what you want to do. Last little knickknack, get your souvenir, it's time to go. Same it is with the sovereignty of God. It's been that way from the very beginning. Think about God's relationship with mankind at the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over him. But the Lord warned him, you may eat freely... Eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die, All right? Free will. You can eat of anything in this entire garden. Pick your pick as much as you want, except for this one tree. Free will, but it's limited free will. This is the tree that you can. And you know the story and the outcome. Adam and Eve had all of this to choose from, and what's the one tree they just, they gotta have? It's the one tree, and they eat from it, and they sin against God, and sin enters the world through them. So if God, knew, if God knew this would happen, why did God create us with free will, right? Wouldn't it have been easier if God would have created us simply with no choice at all? Had we been created or programmed that we would just naturally respond and we'll just naturally worship God? Now think about this. If we had no choice, then there would be no need for Calvary. Jesus wouldn't have had to experience the pain of taking on the sin of the world and being separated from his father if we hadn't had the option of free will and choice. It certainly would have been easier, would it not? Think of the story of mankind. It would have been a lot cleaner in so many ways. But here's what I'm reminded. That genuine love requires the ability to freely choose. That's what genuine love. There's got to be the freedom to freely choose and the character of who God is demands this kind of love and this kind of choice to be true. Look at 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because what's the key? God is love. And it shouldn't surprise us, since God is love, that he desires love from his children but that love must be a choice in order to be genuine love. See, the person must have the capacity to reject love in order to have the capacity to choose love. And the only way we get to that capacity for genuine love of choice is through this idea of free will. But our human nature gets in the problem. I'm reminded as I thought about this concept, Tammy and I, uh, almost all of our lives we've had Siberian Huskies for dogs and we have, have loved them. There are many things about Huskies. Here's our last two we had. I'll show you them. And don't go awe because I'm about to tell you some stories. You're going to say, oh, those blessed little beasts that they are. But we love them. They are wonderful dogs. The two things I don't like about Huskies is they shed everywhere all year round. And since I'm not putting any shedding hair in the house, it's the dogs that are doing this all over. So they shed all the time. And number two is they never can be let off the leash because by their nature, the moment they get free, off they go and off they run. Those are the two things. So I was always jealous of my friends who had dogs that could walk their dog and take them off the leash and a dog would stay right by them. But if you know huskies, that's not in their character and nature. They are runners and the moment they get off, off they go. Those two little blessed little pups 
that you saw there, they were the classic example. One day they dug underneath the fence, and they are off. We can't find them anywhere. I get a phone call, which always you love to have. Uh, these two little blessed pups are uh, five miles away from our house on the other side of town, and the person calls it. They're having a blast out here, but they're creating chaos, and so off we go that they go. Now, it's in their nature to do that. It's in the nature of huskies, right? What I love about them is they're so indifferent. I mean, they'll come if they want to come. You can give them a treat. Ah, I want a treat, don't want a treat, doesn't matter. You come home, if they choose to be nice to you, they can, or they can just ignore you. They're so opposite. My son TJ and Tia, they have one of those golden doodles. Burton, amazing dog. But Burton, he just can't, he's got to be in the same room as you. When you come home, he's so excited to see you. I mean, he's nothing but unconditional love. Uh, but that's not a husky. A husky, eh, it's up to him if he does. Now listen, what makes them such wonderful dogs and the companionship so special is when they choose to obey. When you come home and they choose to come and greet you and, and to show you that kind of thing, it's a special relationship. That's why we love pets so much, right? By a choice, they, they choose to give us companionship and love that's there. <clears throat> now, I, I've shared, I, I should share a little dog story since I have. Now, these two little blessed little pups that you saw, I'll show you that picture again so you remind how cute they are because deep down inside, it's the depravity of the sinful heart that lives within each one of them. I'm at church in, in Omaha, and uh, it's be, during the service, and the service is just like, and I'm hearing all of this commotion out in the lobby. And I'm like, what in the world? One of my elders comes, Pastor, you got to come here. Uh, somebody wants to talk to you. Oh, and so now you know it's going to be a fun day. So I walk out there, and it's my neighbor. Um, he's a construction worker, uh, strong, tough, hard-hearted kind of gentleman. And he's in the lobby of our church. He's not using his church voice. Uh, he's not using his church words uh, to express that he needs to see the pastor and needs to see them right now. So I, I slide him off into the side office quickly trying to defuse the situation. And I'm like, well, what's going on? He says, your dogs. He called them other things. But my dogs, uh, he says, uh, his daughter's cat, this was his story, that one of my dogs had jumped over the fence, had taken his daughter's cat, jumped back over, and my two dogs were playing catch with the cat. Um, it didn't end well for the cat as they're playing catch, and he was so mortified about this. Now, we can debate whether my dogs actually jumped over the fence, took the cat, and jumped back over, or if his daughter, who also had a sin nature, uh, dropped the cat into my yard, in which case it's free game, and whatever happened, happened. I'm not responsible for it. Either way, it didn't matter, because I'm just telling you now, I got to do a cat funeral and pay for a cat to be cremated and try to restore a relationship on them. But these blessed two little dogs that I love so dearly, uh, this was the case. And so, again, what makes pets special is this idea that they can choose to love or not. That's why God gave you free will, because he loves you. And the genuine love that we express to the Father comes out of the ability to choose to accept or reject and which makes it such a powerful thing. That's why God gave it to us. Now, this kind of love that we have for the Lord, I mean, there's two different parts that we see it. I, I think the first part is this. It's the first, it's the love that allowed us to respond to Jesus in the very first place. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that moment of salvation brings such joy. Listen, it brings such joy to your Father's heart. Jesus was teaching once, and he says, I, I want you to know how much God loves every time somebody who is lost is found. He shares this parable, and then he gives us a little insight on what's happening in heaven. In Luke chapter 15, he says this. Jesus shares, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, it will call. she will call in her friends and her neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. So that's the joy that God has. Then he says in verse 10, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. One of the greatest joys to the heart of the Father is when we place our faith in Christ. That's why, again, we love to celebrate baptism. Those folks have made that decision and now are coming public with their faith to say, I've placed my faith in Christ. Such a joy that comes to the heart of the Father. The second thing, I think this is a way that we, that we bring joy is, is through our free will. When we choose to live righteously rather than by the ways of the world, it brings joy in the heart of our Savior. When we don't, it obviously breaks and mourns the the heart of our Father. You know, as I think about 2020 and the struggles and some of the challenges that we faced even this last year, I mean, the condition of where we are relationally with one another, condition of our country and all of these things, boy, it, it comes from decades and decisions where we've chosen the, the desires of our heart rather than the desires of, of our heavenly Father. And the challenge that comes with those choices. And when we choose things out of our own hearts and our own desires, which tend to be selfish, tend to be sinful, Two things happen. Pain enters into the world and into our relationships, and time is lost. What I mean by time is lost, I I think about this. There there comes wasted years into our life because of decisions that we've chosen rather than the heart for God. I think about many things this last year. It feels like it's a wasted year in some of these things. God says there's a chance to redeem that, but it's built out of our decisions uh, of our own free will. Let me give you an example of that. I think back of the children of Israel that we sang a song about a little bit earlier here, you know, and that that journey from slavery out of Egypt uh, into God's promised land for them. Now listen, the sovereignty of God had promised to the nation of Israel this, I will give you a promised land and I will make you a nation. The course, where you're heading, this is predetermined. It's set. I'm telling you this is where we will be and this is what will happen. But the destination and the journey about that is determined by our own choices and how we'll get to where God has preordained for us, preordained for us to be. Now, the distance, again, between, it's so amazing, between slavery and freedom, between slavery and becoming a nation, the, the distance was only a trip that would take probably right around 11 days. In fact, think about this. If the nation of Israel had lined up single file and socially distanced, appropriately so, on their way out of Egypt to the promised land, they would have covered the distance from Egypt to the promised land 12 times. The distance of that exodus would have been 2,600 miles. This is what's incredible. People would have stepped into freedom in the promised land. The first step would have happened there and still while over half the people were still in Egypt. You get the sense here? The land before them wasn't that distant, and yet the journey was quite long. Why? Because of freedom of choice out of their own will, they chose the things that were in them and of them, and it led to pain, and it led to to lost time as they go. Forty years on a journey that could have been a matter of days. An entire generation is lost when it could have been an entire generation who would have experienced the freedom that comes with living in Christ's will. Numbers chapter 32 tells us about it. The Lord was angry with Israel and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation that sinned in the Lord's sight had died. An entire generation. And it's a warning to you and I of this. That is, 
Men and women, as, as the church, listen, if we continue to turn our hearts from the things of God, the consequences in our life will be pain and lost years. I don't know about you, I feel like that's when one of the challenges of 2020. There are just some areas relationally, I feel like we've been wandering in disobedience. God would say, man, if you just turn your hearts to me, I could eliminate your pain and I could help you from wasting so much time. We look in our country, the struggles of just the, the sin of r- racial tensions, the sin of racism, the, the divisions politically, the, the struggles we have. We've got spiritual leaders that are failing in their ministries and, and the name of God is, is hurt through all of these things and the Lord wants to say, listen, <laughs> you're just wandering. You're wandering out of disobedience. You're wandering because your heart is not turned to me because of this. The journey was long and the journey is hard, not because of the distance. The journey is long and the journey is hard because of the choices that you're making. It's the nature of free will, right? So if this is the free will I have, and I know because of my sin nature, (laughs) I'm always going to choose what is not of God, then where do I find the hope? Well, let me give you some great hope in this story. It's, It's the previous verse to what was just there in verse 13. Verse 12 in Numbers 32 says this. The only exception are Caleb, the son of Jophana, the Kenizzites, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Here's the great hope. He says, listen, out of all the struggles that's here, I'm going to tell you about two people. The only exception, these two men, Caleb and Joshua. What made them so different? Go on to the next verse. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, uh, 14, verse 24, he says this. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. And I will bring into the land into which he has been sent. And his descendants shall possess it. God says this. What makes you uniquely different is that you have a different spirit. Than all the things that are happening in your culture that these men would be set apart. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Caleb and Joshua, let me tell you just a little bit about their story. Before they head into the promised land, Moses sends out 12 spies. And he says, listen, I want you to go see the land, and I want you to to map it out and tell us what we're about to face and the struggles that we're going to need to overcome as we do that. And so for 40 days, these 12 spies go and they spy in the land. When they come back, they give a report. Canada of the spies give a report one way, and we'll see Caleb and Joseph, uh, Joshua give another report. Here's the report from the ten men, found in Numbers chapter 13. And this is their report to Moses. We have entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the kind of fruit it produces. Amazing land, they're saying. But <laughs> the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in Negev, and the Hittites and the Jesusites and the Amorites live in the countryside. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along the Jordan River. What's their report? Listen, all is lost. It was an amazing land full of fruits and honey and all of those kind of things. But listen, the people, they're so powerful. The cities, they're all fortified. They even have giants Plus, all the enemies that we've been fighting all live on the hillsides all around the promised land and even right along the Jordan Sea. Listen, I know God promised us this land, 
but his sovereignty is going to be in submission to the mighty men who live within the city. That kind of thinking isn't uncommon. You can hear it taught so many times that God is sovereign. The only thing that trumps the sovereignty of God is the free will of men. If the free will of men can trump the sovereignty of God, then who is truly sovereign? It's man, right? And the choices that he did. That's what these guys are saying. Listen, God, you're, 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 subject, you're in subjection to the, the will of man and the might of there. God, you might have promised us the land, but we're going to choose not to take the land because, God, when you promised it to us, you didn't really realize what we would come up against when we finally got here. That was a report from the 10. But Caleb and Joshua, who had a different spirit, the Bible says, they saw it in a different way. In fact, I would say they have a different view of the sovereignty of God. They have a different theology than the 10. They simply said this, if God says it, then it's true. God says we can possess it, then we should claim it. The desires of man, right, the height of the cities, the, the mount of the walls, even if they have giants, are irrelevant to the process because the sovereignty of God has spoken. If you don't believe God can do it, I'm sure they would just say and look at the people. Do you not remember Pharaoh? It wasn't too long ago that we were released from the bondage of Pharaoh because God's sovereign plan here, and here we are in this moment. So look what happens, Numbers uh, chapter 13, verse 30. So Caleb tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Here's what he says. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Sovereign, if God said it, let's claim it. Let's go today. We don't even need to wait. Let's go. On and on we go. Listen, the sovereignty of God, here's what I want to encourage you with today, brings us confidence in the midst of challenges that are there. While others saw obstacles, Caleb and Joshua saw opportunity for God to meet. And just like Caleb, as followers of Jesus, can I remind you this, folks? We know the end that we win. We know the end of the story that we're promised a promised land. It's called heaven, that at the end that we ultimately win, that the struggles, the foolishness, the pain, the corruption of this world, it's on a clock, and the clock is ticking, and the end is almost here. So the encouragement for you today is, listen, if there's times that you just feel despair and hopelessness, if you feel like your life is just spiraling out of control when the enemies seem like they're winning and the towers seem too big and the walls too thick, just be a Caleb and be a Joshua and be a man or woman who has a different spirit, a, a different perspective, a, a different outlook. An outlook and a perspective that comes from one who serves a living God. Because if I think about this season we find ourselves in, I think the thing that's heavy on my heart, but more importantly, I think the thing that breaks the heart of God at times like this, in times within us as people and communities and as our country, in a time of tension, racially, politically, financially, whatever it would be, here's, I think, the thing that breaks the heart of God is, listen, that in the midst of these struggles that our spirit isn't any different than the spirit of the world. That we look at the things even we're facing here in 2020 and we say like the 10, oh, it's too big, we can't overcome. It's too great, they have this and they have this and we lose hope and we lose confidence and we lose courage in the things that we come. When our actions and our attitudes and our motives and our perspective and our joy becomes just like the joy of the spirit of the world, we've missed it. 
And the story of Caleb and Joshua is to say, men and women, we have to have a different spirit because we serve a different God. The sovereignty of God is such a wonderful gift because in moments of struggle and uncertainty, it grounds us. So my encouragement for us in the days to come, as we head out of this year into the next year, listen, the struggles aren't gonna change. The headlines may look exactly the same in the weeks and the months to come, but listen, we've gotta commit to one another to be men and women of a different spirit. We gotta commit to place our confidence and our trust not in a man or in a system, but in the sovereignty of God in our lives knowing that all things run through his loving hand and all things work together for his good and his pleasure and for our good if we'll submit to his authority. Just like Caleb and Joshua, our choices and our actions matter. And so at the end of their story and the challenge for us today as we live in the next week, may we be men and women who live with confidence and courage and compassion and unwavering conviction, knowing this, that we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Father, thank you for that promise today, the encouragement. Thank you for the example of Caleb and Joshua, who in the midst of struggle and challenge and seemingly overwhelming obstacles, trusted in this, that God, you are sovereign. So let us take the land that you've promised to us for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. I mentioned at the start of our time, my end goal for our, for our time today is number one, that the response to a correct understanding of the sovereignty of God is worship. That when you look to the God of the past, present, and future and all that he's done in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ from the very beginning until he returns, it should stir in our hearts an awe. God, you are in control, and I can't see it, and I may not feel it, but God, you're sovereign. So we're going to stand this morning as we close out our time, and we're going to do that. We're going to respond to God in worship for who he is and for what he's done. So let you stand with me, and let's sing this truth back to the Lord, and where your heart is on rest, commit these truths back to him. Let's sing together.